This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Fionn McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, about the drooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olahan. I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 150 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we have the final tale from the Mabinogion, our look at the tales of Welsh mythology. This is the story of a young prince who sets out to win the hand of a giant's daughter. This is the story of Kilhuch and Alwyn. But first, if you are a new listener, thank you so much for joining us. If you like this episode, why don't you head back to the story of Pulk, Prince of David, to see what we've been doing with the Mabinogion, the Tales of Welsh Mythology, over the past couple of months. And if you enjoy that, why don't you head back to the very beginning, three years ago now, episode one, to see the journey of Fireside so far. And if you are a returning listener, as always, thank you so much for your continued support. If you have not done so already, please do follow me over on Instagram at FiresideBard. Please email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com if you're not on social media and you want to get in touch or just say hello. And if you really want to support the podcast, you can do so over at headstuffpodcast.com where you, for as little as €5 euro a month, although you can pay more if you want, you can join Headstuff Plus and gain access to bonus episodes and material, advanced ticket sales for live shows, Lots of other little uh, members-only exclusives only over at Headstuff Plus. And I want to give a very big welcome to our two latest supporters on Headstuff, Michael Fognan, Finan, I hope I'm pronouncing it Fognan, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, and Kristen Peck have joined Ethan Bartlett, Kelly McDonald, Caitlin Quinn and Anne McAvoy as our most recent supporters and benefactors over on Headstuff Plus. You're very welcome. I hope you enjoy the members-only content there, including the video, the most recent video of our Dublin Podcast Festival show from 2019, joining a few other members-only exclusives. But there's no hard sell on that. That's there if you want to support and if you want the bonus material. But the story for this week, I can't believe it's 150 episodes. We're nearly at the three-year mark. And how serendipitous, how perfect that this happened to be the very last episode of the Mabinogion, the very last tale of Welsh mythology, which began with episode 130 with Polk, Prince of Dovid. Uh, so now it is a perfect 20 episodes long. In the past, when I've been adapting different cycles of mythology, I've altered between folktales and myths, uh, which has created a sense of variety and everything. But the Mabinogion has been such a condensed text and such a dense piece of work to adapt. It just felt 
more right to adapt it all together and to give it my entire focus for the last few months. And thank you so much for supporting that and for all your words of encouragement and for your thoughts throughout the Mabinogion. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it even half as much as I have enjoyed the challenge of adapting it. But it has all come down to this final tale. The Mabinogion doesn't really have a beginning, middle and end. Most adaptations of it begin with the four cycles, which we did, but... uh, Depending on the version that you read, some end with Ron Aboy's dream, as I talked about last week, because Ron Aboy's dream is very definitely a literary tale. It has no oral source, it is thought, which is why they would be make sense to put it at the very end. At Kilhook and Alwyn is often put at the end as well, despite the fact that it's quite possibly the earliest of all the Welsh tales. It is because it is the longest prose text I've managed to condense it. I will point out the two the two bizarre reasons it is the quite it is very definitely the longest text that I've had to adapt and why it was the easiest stuff to cut. Um I will explain that afterwards, but that is another reason for putting it at the end. But this Kilhook and Alwyn was a, were two names that I was hearing right about the time I began adapting the Mabinogion. These these names seem to be very famous. If there is a book of Celtic tales and it has a lot of Irish, some English or some Scottish tales, and if it was to have one Welsh tale, this is often the one that it would be. This seems to be the most famous adaptation of it. For most of my stories, I've been doing. As I've said, the two adapting from two sources, the Naxos audio uh, narrated by Matt Addis, which I use mainly for the quite difficult pronunciations, and then the Oxford World Classics most recent editions of the Mabinogion. But with this story, I was able, I was treated greatly to another version by the wonderful my hero of this podcast, Robin Williamson. Now, to be confused with Robin Williams, Robin Williamson was a Scottish. Harper and he used to do he was as close as you would have got to a middle ages bard he would play this beautiful harp and he would tell stories and sing songs and he has many many uh, things you can look up of him on Spotify and on YouTube of him telling these stories and playing this beautiful music um on the podcast, the story I adapted most directly from him was the story of Fionn and the Old Man's House, which was the counterpart to Thor in the Land of Giants. If anyone hasn't listened to that, I suggest you check it out. Uh, those were really fun ones to adapt. So it was really nice uh, being treated to another Robin Williamson edition. And it also was then a third source to adapt different uh, versions from. So without further ado, I will get down to the story now and get down to my own version. And we will talk a bit more afterwards, of course. But this is episode 150. This is the story of Kilhook and Alwen on Fireside. Kilhook and Alwen. When Kilhook's mother was pregnant with him, She totally lost her senses and wandered throughout the land, unable to settle anywhere. But when she came to turn, the prospective mother suddenly regained her sanity. On that day, she was near a pig pen, where a swineherd was tending a pack of beastly sows and boars. 
Being frightened by the sight of the great big pigs, the mother went into labor. The baby was delivered by the swineherd who brought the boy to his father. The baby was named Kilhuk, which means pig pen. But despite his humble name, the boy was high-born and a cousin to King Arthur. As was often the tradition with noble births, Kilhook was fostered to another family. While he was away, his mother fell sick. Kilhook's father was summoned to his wife's side. The dying woman said, This is an illness from which I will not recover. I know that you must remarry, my love but I would ask that you do not seek to marry anyone until you see two briars growing on my grave. Her husband agreed to these final terms. Privately, the wife asked her chamberlain to cut and salt the earth of her grave so that nothing would ever grow there. It wasn't so much that the woman wanted to begrudge her husband from ever replacing her, but she feared if he did, and had any more children of his own, he would then forget all about their own child, Kilhook. The mother died, and for years nothing ever grew on her grave. But after the seventh year, the chaplain stopped cutting the earth of the grave. And the next day, when Kilhook's father went to his dead wife's grave, there, growing in the earth, were two briars. It was time for him to find a new wife. The man asked his counsellors, and one suggested, There is the wife of King Duggett. You should kill him and kidnap his wife for your own. And Kilhook's father did just that. He killed the king and took the lady and her daughter as his own. One day, this new lady went out for a walk and came to the home of a toothless old hag. Old hag, the queen said, answer me this question. Has this man who has abducted me and my daughter any children of his own? He has none, the old crone said. Oh, woe to me that I have come to a home of a childless man. Then the old hag laughed. Fear not, he will have an heir, and it may be by you. And he is not totally childless. He does have one son. The new queen was delighted to hear this. She returned to her husband and said, Why did you conceal that you have a son from me? The son was from my previous marriage. I did not think that you would have any interest in him. He has been fostered to another family since his youth. But I will conceal him no longer. Kilhook was summoned to his new stepmother. He was significantly more grown than when he had been sent away, and he had become a handsome youth. But Kilhook was not yet a man. His stepmother said, It is time for you to marry a wife. I have a daughter, so we will unite our family further and marry her to you. Kilhook said, My lady, 
I would be honoured to marry your daughter, but I am not yet old enough to marry. The queen felt personally slighted by the youth's refusal of her daughter's hand. She soured towards Kilhook. Well, in that case, I will put a prophecy on you, that you shall never marry any woman on earth before you win the hand of Olwen, daughter of Isbadadan, king of the giants. As soon as Kilhook heard the name Olwen, his cheeks flushed red and his heart swelled with love. His stepmother had put a curse upon him. She had attempted to doom the youth. But that was not how Kilhook saw it. How could he view such an incredible feeling as anything other than an absolute gift? The smitten youth went to his father. Why do you look so red, my son? asked the father. Because, father, my stepmother has prophesied that I shall love no other before Olwen, the daughter of Ispadadan. The king frowned. That will be no easy hand in marriage for you to win. But you, my son, are King Arthur's cousin. Go to the king and ask him to cut your hair. Then ask for his help in this marriage pursuit. The king shall not refuse his kin. So Kilhook mounted a great white horse and rode out for Arthur's court. It was early evening by the time he arrived and was stopped at the gate. Are you the gatekeeper? asked Kilhook. I am, and I should cut out your tongue for asking such a stupid question, replied the gatekeeper. Please, lower the gates and let me into the court. That I will not do, for the first fork has been lifted and the feast has begun. No one gets into the court while the feast is on, the wine flowing and the bards singing. You may have a meal for you or horse, and lodging and food and storage for yourself. And when the feast is over, you shall be let in for an audience with the king. Kilhook's face darkened. If you do not allow me in this instance, I will put a curse on Arthur that Every pregnant woman in his land shall miscarry, and all others shall remain barren. The gatekeeper seemed undeterred. Make all the curses you want. You will not gain access until I have spoken to the king. Inside the court, Arthur and his retinue ate and drank in the atmosphere of music and song and story. The gatekeeper silently entered the dining hall and timidly approached the king. "'Welcome, friend,' said Arthur. "'What news from the gate?' "'My lord, there is a youth at the gate who is asking for an audience with you and will not wait until the feast is through. Two-thirds of my own life are over my king, and I have never seen anyone as beautiful as the young man now standing at your gate.' Arthur said, You walked in here, now run back out and retrieve this youth. Kilhook was brought before Arthur. Greetings, O king of kings. I have come to humbly make a request. Welcome, friend, 
Ask for anything, and I will give it to you. All except for my sword, and my spear, and shield, and horse, and, of course, my beloved Guinevere. My request is simple, Lord. I wish for you to cut my hair. Gladly I grant this request. A comb and razor and scissors were produced, and personally the king of kings cut the hair of Kilhook, the child of the pig pen. But when combing the roots and cutting curls, Arthur recognized the hue of the hair. You are of my line, said the king. You are my own kin. Clearly you have come with a greater request than this. Ask anything, friend, and I will use all my power to grant it. Thank you, my king. I seek the hand in marriage of Olwen, the daughter of the king Ispadadan, and I invoke your help. Kilhook also invoked the aid of literally two hundred other named figures, but there is neither the time nor the space to list them all here. I do not know this Olwen or her father, said Arthur, but I promise you I will find her. The king summoned his greatest knights, Kai, Bedwyr, Owain, Gwalkmai, and a host of others. They searched the land for an entire year, and in all that time they were no closer to finding Olwen than when they first set out. Kilhook became impatient, and threatened to satirize Arthur and his entire court if he did not receive what he wanted. Kai returned and said to Kilhook, Come with us, and if you cannot find her, you must accept that the girl does not exist. Kilhook and Arthur's retinue rode out together until they came to a great plain, and in the distance of that great plain they saw a colossal fortress, and after a day and a night of riding towards the keep, the night seemed no closer to it. They came to the home of a shepherd. "'Whose lands are these?' asked Kilhook to the shepherd. "'They are the lands of my brother.' Ispadidan, the king of the giants, who has ruined my life and that of my wife. Kilhook smiled. They had come to the right place. How has he ruined your life? Because we had twenty-three sons, and the king is a jealous and paranoid man, and killed all but one of our children. I have come to seek the hand of Olwen, daughter of the king. Oh, no, said the shepherd. I have heard many come and say that, and not one of them has returned with their life. My niece, Olwen, comes here but once a week to wash her hair. Turn away now before you meet her, and it is too late. But Kilhook would not turn away, not when he was so close to meeting his one true love. The beautiful maiden Alwyn arrived at the shepherd's hut, dressed in flame-red silk, and a torque of red gold, and pearls, and precious jewels. Kilhook approached her and said, Lady, though we are only meeting now, I have loved you since first I heard your name. 
If you will have me, I will take you away from here and make you my wife. Alwyn looked sad and said, Do not make such a request of me, for all have died who have asked that question. I am bound to tell my father whenever someone asks for my hand. My father will die the day that I marry, so he will do everything in his power to avoid that day. Then Alwen thought for a moment. There is one way you may win my hand. What is it? asked Kilhook. Anything. If you go to my father and fulfill any request he makes of you, and I do mean any and indeed all. There may be no limit to the amount of requests he makes of you, but if you complete them all, he may accept his fate, and you may win my hand. But if you are dishonest for even a moment, and my father suspects that you are, you and your friends will be lucky to escape with your lives. The next morning, Kilhuch and the knights arrived at the court of the great giant Ispadadan. The great monster towered over him with his eyes closed. Without opening them, the brute said, Who has entered my court? One who would seek the hand of your daughter, Olwen. Where are my servants? Prop open my eyes so that I may see my future son-in-law. Ispadidan's servants took great pitchforks and used them to prop open the king's eyelids. The giant loomed over Kilhuch and the knights. He took one of the three poisoned stone spears by his side and launched it at the knights. The spear was caught by Bedwyr, who returned it and pierced the giant's thigh. Then Ispadadan threw another, which was caught by Kai, who sent it through the giant's chest, the points of which then protruded out of the giant's back. Ispadadan then threw a final spear, which was caught by Kilhook himself. The youth returned the spear, which went straight through the giant's eye and out the back of his head. Peace, Ispadadan, cried Kilhook. Do not behave violently towards us again. The giant asked for a chair to be brought for Kilhook so that Ispadadan could get a good look at the man who sought the hand of his daughter, with the one good eye he had left, that is. I want your word, said the giant to the youth, that you will not be dishonest with me. When I get what I want from you, you shall have the hand of my daughter. I will be honest, and you shall get whatever you desire. Ispadadan then began to list no less than forty quests for Kilhook to go on, each more dangerous and more challenging than the last. Each time Kilhook would say, It is easy for me to get that, though you think it is not easy. To which Ispadadan would reply, Though you may get that, there is something else you will not get. Kilhook left the court of Ispadadan and returned to Arthur, and with the aid of the king and his vast army of knights, so began a great and epic series of quests to complete the forty-odd tasks of Ispadadan. 
but by far the greatest challenge of all, one which the party left until last, was the task of cutting Ispadadan's hair. Seems like a simple request, no doubt, but Ispadadan's hair was so thick that it could only be cut using a razor and comb and scissors that hung as earrings of the great boar Turk Truith. The great boar had laid waste to two-thirds of the island of Ireland. Arthur and his armies went over to face Turk Truith, and a long and bloody war began. The king tried many times to reason with the boar, for it was rumoured that Turk Truith had once been a man who was cursed into boar form. But the beast would not be reasoned with. After destroying another portion of Ireland, Turk Truith swam to the western shore of Wales. There he began to wreak havoc all over the British coast. Arthur's army followed the beast, and many fell in the constant battle, until finally the razor and the comb and the scissors were torn from the boar's ears at Cornwall. But Turk Truith survived, and swam out towards Brittany, and was never seen or heard from again. Finally, Kilhook returned to Ispadadan with every task and errand and challenge completed. With the newly acquired razor and comb and scissors, Kilhook trimmed Ispadadan's beard and combed and cut his hair. The giant was satisfied. I grant you the hand of my daughter, Olwen. With all that you have done to seek her hand, I know you will be an honorable husband. I have protected her for as long as I can, but my time has come. With the same scissors that had been used to cut his hair, Ispadadan's head was cut clean off. That night, Alwen was married to Kilhook, and for the remainder of his life, Kilhook never loved another, and they lived happily ever after. And that is how Kilhook won Alwen, and so ends this portion of the Mabinogion. The End. Folks, as you all know, Fireside is a proud son of the Headstuff Podcast Network, which is Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts and a loving home for the creative and indeed the curious. There are so many other podcasts I could recommend to you on the network, some of which inspired me to approach Headstuff myself. Here's a taste of one you might enjoy. I'm Trevor. I'm Ed. And I'm Andrea. And we are... The The Sinistream Club. Where we take a movie that society deems a classic and put it to the Sinistream test. Where we ask all the tough questions like, does this movie make any sense? Why isn't Tom Hanks in this movie? How many sandwiches are in this film? What kind of watches are people wearing? Was that sex scene really necessary? Says my mother. What trivia does Trev know in Trev's trivia? What trivia do I know? In Trev's trivia. That's what I said. I, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All these questions and more will be answered every fortnight in the Cine Stream Club. Available from wherever you get your podcasts. And the Headstuff Podcast Network. And that was it. 
And so ends our adaptation of the Mabinogion. And that was the tale of Kilhook and Alwen on Fireside. And I hope you enjoyed it. I love when, because of a minor case of OCD, it always feels that when we have these decades of episodes, when we have episodes, you know, 120, 30, 40, 50, when it hits that 50, 100 mark, that it should be an epic tale. It should be a climax of some sort. And I'm so happy we got to finish the Mabinogion with the story of Kilhook and Alwyn. There's so much to unpack in this. Uh, so I'm just going to dive right in. First of all, it has... If this seemed more like a folk tale than a myth, you wouldn't be wrong for thinking that. This almost identically has the the shape of the folktale type, the pursuits of the giant's daughter. There are many folktales that are about, and that share huge amount of elements with the story of Kilhook, from the, the stepmother to falling in love. When you first hear the name, there are a lot of the, the kernels of what would later become the, the fairy tale and the traditions and tropes of the fairy tale as we know them today are in this this tale that has a case to be the earliest textual source of a mention of King Arthur. This is a claim to being the earliest surviving tale that features King Arthur in it. Interesting, like so many of the Mabinogion tales, the most of which do fe- feature Arthur in some capacity, he plays a minor to supporting role. Now, in in the full version of this tale, you could argue that... Uh, that Arthur plays a stronger role, but I like to focus the story on Kilhook and Alwyn, the title characters. I'll begin by saying the two major things that I cut, or rather cut, significantly edited down. There is a section when Kilhook first goes to Arthur's court and he invokes the king's help. Kilhook then also invokes the names of 200 other men, women, horses dogs, the list goes on and he traces them all to each other, he says who is the son of who, what they did what their achievements were 200 names so this goes on for pages and pages and pages I could not even begin to to adapt that from a pronunciation point of view alone but I would not subject you to that my dear listeners either now, naturally, there are many versions of that. I would be, I would recommend, even if you just have the curiosity, to check it out, to really see. You've really seen the, something that is quite common in Middle Ages uh, prose texts, and there's a lot of that in, in some of the early sources of Irish mythology as well, where it traces through, and you have the likes of it in the Iliad, where there is the section of the Iliad that directly connects the Trojan War with the Emperor Augustus, uh, albeit for the sake of it being a text of propaganda. So it's worth checking out for that alone. But naturally, when you cut out these pages and pages and pages and pages of names, you get an instantly more streamlined text. The other part that uh, was significantly edited down is these list of tasks that uh, Isbadadan gives Kilhook to go on to... um, to win the hand of Alwyn in marriage. And these include 40 tales. 
and he names all 40 of them at which and whenever he names them Killhook says it is easy for me to get that though you think it is not easy and Ispadadan replies though you may get that there is something else you will not get to each and every one of these 40 tales and they go from lists of like defeating a certain character overthrowing someone most of them are just fetch quests to collect you know there's a fetch quest to get hounds and to get the hounds you have to defeat this person to defeat that person you have to get through that person this entire thing is listed out but even in the longest versions of these stories most of these tasks are not described in their success we're told we're given the full list of the 40 tales and then Killhook goes back to Arthur and he asks his cousin for the help and Arthur provides his retinue of knights and personally goes out and there is the description of about maybe three or four of the detail of the quests and these are given in in some detail but definitely the most interesting of them is the battle with Torque Truth. And I felt that was the most important as well because they end up cutting Ispadadan's head off at the end as this was foretold that the giant would die on the day of his daughter's wedding in some kind of bizarre, uh, bizarre, bizarro version of the Sicilian tradition of not being able to refuse a favour on the day of your daughter's wedding. We have these scissors that are used to cut Ispadadan's hair off head off, uh, hair first and then head off. So it seemed to make sense. And also, much like the story of Lowry Lynchuk in Irish mythology, it is very interesting that the idea of cutting hair and hair care plays a very strong role throughout the full length of this tale. First of all, we have Kilhook's father telling Kilhook to go to Arthur and to ask the king to cut his hair. As, as his favour, rather than just asking straight out. I kind of added in the detail that Arthur recognised the hue of his hair and that was how he recognised the, the child as his own, uh, or of his own line. Then we have in the shepherd's hut, in the brother of Ispadadan's house, in which Alwyn goes every day to wash her hair. And then finally, one of the challenges, the great final challenge, is to cut Ispadadan's hair, which leads on this quest to fight this great boar, Turk Truith, which from whose ears hang the scissors and the comb and the razor. So I suppose it's because at this time, and indeed for a long time, the idea of cutting hair must have been quite a luxury. You know, it was, I mean, how many people would have been able to, how many people would have even known to care about the idea of cutting hair? Cutting hair and grooming in general would have just been entirely a pragmatic, practical point of view, except in the highest of royalty, if even that. So that makes sense to me that that the cutting of hair would be quite a luxurious, decadent thing. But then it ends on this great quest to, with Turk Truth, where we get to go back to Ireland. Yeah, right at the end of the Mabinogion, we get our final battle on Irish shores in which anytime Ireland's mentioned in one of these tales particularly, they seem to think it's the smallest island in the world because every time this happens, every time there's a tale of, of Welsh mythology on the island of Ireland, the entire island is destroyed. Every last bit of it. It says that Turk Truth destroyed two-thirds of Ireland and then the rest was destroyed when Arthur and his retinues were fighting Turk Truth on it. But I love Turk Truth. First of all, it's fun fun to say. You should see it spelled. Um... I have it. 
I have it out here. Daughter of the King. Pieces better than. Yeah, so it's T Y T W Y or C H T or W Y T H. Turk Truth. And why I love this great boar so much is it reminds me immensely of Princess Mononoke. Uh, my favorite, one of my favorite films of all time, a great Studio Ghibli Japanese anime, which is the story of a of a prince of a small a small Japanese village uh, in the early in the Middle Ages in the early days of the the shogunate and the samurai, and he falls foul. He defeats this boar spirit that has been corrupted by this demon and he goes on this quest to try and unite uh, these warring the warring industry growing as lo- as well as the and the protection of the forest itself and it's an incredible not ham-fisted well maybe it is ham-fisted but it's just handled so deftly conversation between industry and environmentalism and it's an absolutely masterpiece it's a breathtaking it's essentially the Japanese Lord of the Rings if you haven't seen it they're all on Netflix now Princess Mononoke but the boar spirits and the idea of the corruption of great boars is huge is a huge part of the film so I could not think of this idea of Turk Truth especially when they say that he was once possibly once a man and that he could not be reasoned with but he hanging from his ears as these pieces of jewellery are the scissors and comb and razor which are taken away and given and used to cut the hair of Ispadadan before cutting his head clean off. I love this. I love this tale so much so I'm, I'm trying to... I don't want to leave anything out before I... I sign off, but we've got this. Uh, another detail I really liked is this this gatekeeper. I already am doing a slice Graham Graham Chapman from Monty Python and the Holy Grail impression when I do my Arthur, but now I also got to do the bridge keeper from the Bridge of Death scene from Holy Grail as this gatekeeper. Yeah, there was a there was a few lines, a few funny, strange, and sometimes absurd lines in the different versions I was adapting that I wanted to keep in here, despite the fact that they may have made a little sense. First of all, is when. Um, Killhook's stepmother goes out for a walk when she first arrives she goes out and finds this old hag's house again this is very folktale-y old hag stepmother she goes in and says does my husband have any children and she says no he doesn't and she's like oh that's sad that he doesn't have any children and she says no don't worry he does have children and there's no like I just said he didn't and this is why and you're just not led to question that at all it's just well when you say he's no children he's not no children he has one children but that's basically no children it just it made me laugh and I just thought it was so unusual and in a few versions of it that I wanted to to keep it in here next as I said we have this encounter with the gatekeeper who uh where (laughs) First of all, he says to kill Hook that he should kill him for not recognizing him as the gatekeeper. This obviously is the world famous gatekeeper of King Arthur. Then Kill Hook's incredibly dark premonition 
uh, or his dark curse that he threatens on Arthur to make all the women of the kingdom miscarry and the rest of the women barren, to which the gatekeeper is just like, okay, I'll ask him. You know, I mean, do ever what you want, but you're not getting in until I ask him. And then he goes in and King Arthur grants him the audience and we're off, we're off, we're away at the races with all the boys, Kai and Gwalkmai and Owain. But I think I just, I love the scale of this tale. It begins in such humble folktale origins and kind of ends in folktale oranges, oranges, oranges as well. Starting with this young boy born in a pig pen, grown up stepmother puts this curse on him he goes out to find his one true love seeks the help of a great king and his retinue must overthrow must answer the riddles and challenges of a great giant overthrows the giant in the end who accepts his fate and then finally wins that in marriage and lives happily ever after for Fireside the Irish Storytelling Podcast I couldn't ask for a better story and I certainly couldn't ask for a better story on a 150th episode and finally couldn't ask for a better story to finish the Mabinogion when I look back these last 20 episodes by far the most challenging but possibly most rewarding thing I've ever had to do for this podcast it was properly like adapting an own version of a novel um, and it was so useful and beneficial to me as a writer and a storyteller and a performer and I hope you all enjoyed it but from the first branch we had Polk, Prince of David, Rhiannon, Prederi the second branch the blow to Branwen and the Wales at war with Ireland we had the story of Manawudan in the third branch. Finally, the fourth branch with Math, the son of Mathonoi. We had the curse. Uh, we had the story of Clue and Bloodwed, Peredir and the Knight of the Round Table, Peredir the Mute Knight, Peredir and the Serpent of the Cairn, Peredir and the Fortress of Wonders. God, we did four tales with Peredir. Emperor Maxon, Clod and Clefellus, the Countess of the Fountain, Geraint and the Knight of the Sparrowhawk, Geraint and Enid, and finally, uh, before that, we had Rana Boy's Dream, and now the story of Kulk and Alwen. Eleven or twelve texts squeezed into twenty densely packed episodes, and with that, the Mabinogion is ended. Next week... I will have uh, announced, uh, I will have released a very special announcement by the time this episode is released, uh, which will be released as another episode and then it'll go out all over my social medias and uh, our our lovely Heads to Plus listeners will find out before in our newsletter. Um, but the next three episodes, basically the plan for the rest of the year, the next three episodes will be specials for my big project and announcement that's coming out, um, which... If you do, haven't heard uh, already, by the time this episode comes out, you'll find out when the next episode is released. After that, we will have our Christmas special. And then as we end the third year fireside, we're going to have a very special episode before we begin year 22 and the fourth year of this podcast. Thank you so much to all who have been on the journey, whether you're there from the beginning, the middle, or you're just joining us now. Thank you so much for joining us by the fireside. And with that, I will wrap things up. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this tale. Please do follow me over on Instagram at firesidebard. Email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Please support me over on Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com. The link is in the description. Five euro a month and you can make a huge difference to, to this podcast. I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside.
This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.